Hey everyone, welcome back and welcome to episode five of season four of Whiskey Queens. This week we're talking about French whiskey and I'm going to be drinking Bastille 1789. Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to check us out at whiskeyqueens.com, at the Whiskey Queens on Instagram, and be sure to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and here's the show. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? I'm impressed. And I've already popped her a couple of times and she's still, she's still going at it. How are you? I've never said that before. Um, <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm here. It's, it's, we're not time stamping. Sorry, we're not time stamping. I'm here. You're here. We're recording. Life is good. We're here. We're queer. We're ready to drink whiskey. A beer would have been better, but we're drinking whiskey. Yeah, we are, we're ready to drink whiskey. I'm not sure if we're ready to do anything else aside from that, but we'll give it no. a whirl. So, um, yeah, but why are you drinking this week? What's up with you? Ah, fuck. You hit me first. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as I say, every delightful episode in which we record one, because I like to drink and two, hmm, because work is work. And I realize I need to step up my life or I'm never going to be able to retire. (laughs) That's I'm being a bit dramatic right now, everybody, but that's sort of where my headspace is at the moment. Anyway, why are you drinking? Sweet suffering, Jesus. Um, you went right in on that one. I'm gonna step yeah. up my life or I can't retire. So I'm drinking, and everyone can now determine the timestamp based off this comment. Um, I'm drinking because of the week ahead. I don't think we have a free day until Sunday and the week has just begun. Um, but in good news, the work craziness has ebbed a little bit. So cheers to my job being less insane. So it's it's all about tiny victories today. Tiny, tiny victories. Cheers to that. Exactly. Also, hopefully your life is not like quadruple scheduled like it seems it is every week while I'm up in Maine. Cause I like- No, no. The first week will be interesting because while you visit us and you're preparing to go to a a wedding nearby, we will be preparing for the fundraiser. But I think- both of our lives cascade into some peace after said fundraiser and wedding have wrapped up. As long as the works aren't shit shows, but one never knows. I feel like we're tempting the universe by even saying if works aren't shit shows. So we'll see how that pans out. But we're like, we're preparing the guest room for you. We're very excited to have you as a guest for- I'm gonna be super real with you right now, Mm. like I always am. And that is anytime I'm preparing for any sort of travel, now, what I'm hoping is that it's not the case this, ish, this go around because I'm good. I'm planning to work a vast majority of the time I'm up there with you. <clears throat> but I feel like every time I either have vacation or plan travel, it is a goddamn zoo before I leave mm-hmm. and yeah. while I'm gone so that I end up having to do shit. And I so think- I'm very much prepared <laughs> mentally for it to be <laughs> like a, the whole time I'm there. But anyway, I very I'm hopeful that it's that not the problem. case because I will be working. So hopefully the universe recognizes that. If not, bitch, recognize it. Yep. Yeah. Call that into being. Um, manifest that as best you can. But I, I do think we share that because, God, I took some PTO and it was like right before go live, which I was hired without knowing that at this new gig. Um, but it was like hell on wheels right up through the PTO that I was actually taking. So... 
I look forward to taking a couple of days off here and there while you're in town and uh, hopefully it not being of gasoline. And the best fucking part for all these bitches that are listening to us is oh. that we will be in person together. And so that'll be a fascinating dynamic. It'll probably be the same. Y'all won't know the difference because Nick and I have known each other for 1.7 million years. But anyway, so old. Yeah, so old. Practically like, you know, time of the dinosaurs. But anyway. Between now um, and then, we'll figure out how to record in the same room. We will. That's our unique challenge in which we are facing. But anyway, what are you drinking this week? Because you're the person who is educating us upon a new whiskey. I am educating us upon a new whiskey. Um, the, so what I'm drinking is Bastille 1789. It is a blended French whiskey. What I'm finding that whenever I choose a whiskey from another country is that these distilleries are small and don't have a lot on the internet webs to offer. So my education will be short and sweet, but the whiskey is delicious. How about so you? I thought that my education would be short and sweet because the history of French whiskey is short and sweet. However, I came up with some fucking notes in my thing. I'm sure you scrolled through and was like, bitch, gonna have like seven hours of I, a diatribe. It, well, hey, as long as we, we keep it, we keep it tidy. We will. But I am drinking uh, the Ben Riach Original 10 Speyside Single Malt Whiskey. And it is delicious. I'm doing, I had a little bit on ice and now I'm doing whiskey and soda, uh, scotch and soda with it. And the reason I chose this drink is because one, it's one of the fuller bottles that our dear friend Becca gave us um, from Brown Foreman, wherever she's from, Brown Foreman. Um, is her corporate overlord. That is anyway, overlord, you are correct. Yes. Um, but also because there is a distinct connection between Scotch whiskey and France. It, yes, there is, there is, there is. So you, you get the divine pleasure of going first and giving us the lay of the land. And then I will tell you all about what I'm drinking. That's right. I totally forgot that I would be first this week. <laughs> I was like, his cadence is off and let me correct this because I ain't going first. Yeah, I know. My bad. So you all have the extraordinary privilege of learning about French drunk whiskey history from me this week. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is, as I said two minutes ago, it's relatively short and sweet because the French have not been making whiskey very long. So some things we should all know from the start. French whiskey history only dates back to the 1980s. The French have long been the world leaders in per capita scotch consumption. Oh, interesting. For instance, uh, drinking up to 178 million bottles of whiskey in 2017. Holy shit. Yeah, they like the whiskey, okay, in France, which you're like mind blown because I'm like, wait, cognac, wine, what, huh? Yeah, I'm like wine um, country. Yeah. Exactly. The majority of whiskey produced in France is largely consumed in France. The French whiskey production originated in the Brittany region of France, which has strong Celtic roots. Hmm. Okay. It's the northeastern coastal region of France, in case you don't know where the Brittany region of France is. That's where it relies. Uh, no, resides. That's where it um, relies. And according to the Whiskey Advocate, which we can link this article in our little show notes, the French are fiercely proud of the region's Celtic roots and 
Britain distillers use a variety of grains and cask types, maturing the whiskey in a maritime environment that's a few degrees warmer uh, than Scotland. So it definitely has an homage, or at least the Brittany region that originated sort of the dis distillation production of whiskey in France has sort of the homage to scotch, hence why I'm drinking the Ben Rioc. So both in terms of the large consumption of scotch from the French people, but also the, the Celtic and scotch-based roots of distillation that are ingrained in French culture. I like that you're helping us bring it full circle. I appreciate that. I try my best, I try my best. So although France did not start making whiskey until the 1980s, the country obviously has very deep roots in distilling, right? They've been making fruit-based spirits like cognac and calvados and eau de vie for centuries you know, practically as long as the Scots and the Irish have been making whiskey. Because remind me, Nicholas, when we talked about the history of Ireland, we talked about drunk monks. Yes. And we talked about drunk monks sort of learning about eau de vie, you know, life, water, what is it called? Life of water, water life. Water of life, aqua yeah. Water of life. Uh, but they learned it from mainland Europe. And was it, was it French or was it sort of just that general region? Uh, actually, no, I don't believe it was France. I believe it was farther west than that. Um, don't quote me on that, though, but I believe it was farther west. Do you mean east? East, sorry. Wait. I was like, uh, east. French is pretty fucking sorry. west. No, the other way, the other <laughs> way. Head towards Asia, but stop before you get there. Gotcha. But anyway, so they've been distilling, you know, uh, fruit-based spirits for a long time. Long story short. So they have a lot of experience with, you know, distilling and fermentation. France also grows plenty of grains and generating roughly like 30%, according to the articles I read of the world's malt. And I know they produce a lot of grains that end up going to Scotland to help produce whiskey. Yes, I read this earlier today. I had no yeah. idea. Which is kind of crazy. So long story short, the, the Waringham distillery, and I'm probably saying that wrong and I apologize to the French, was founded in 1900 in the Brittany region of France and produced, they started producing herbal and fruit liqueurs. And then in the 1980s, around 1983, they're like, you know what we should do? We should make ourselves some whiskey up in this bitch, okay? Yeah. And so they did. They started that sort of production process. And in 1987, they released the first French blended whiskey. <clears throat> And then in 1998, they released the first single malt whiskey called, oh, I, I knew I would be too drunk to, by the time we got to this point to do correct pronunciations. I'm so excited. En Mochie. Sure. En Mochie. Yes. So fun facts for all of our listeners. I did take two years of French uh, in my eighth grade and ninth grade years. Je parle un peu français. Hmm. Uh, mm, yes, we oui, we. Oui. So I feel extra. Um, what's the words I'm looking for? Uh, particular about my inability to pronunciate. Pronunciate. Oh fuck me. Pronunciate French words. That's okay. We can forget it. We know. We all took language in high school and then forgot every single friggin' word of it by the time we left and went to college. 
I did two years of French and four years of Spanish over the course of like uh, high school and college. So, and, uh, can, and can you count the number of words you have in both languages on both your hands? So what I can tell you this is a fun fact for everyone about me is that I think I, sh I would have been amazing had I stuck with French. I didn't stick with French because my French teacher, when I had moved from Pittsburgh to Columbus, the French teacher outside of Columbus was a hot clusterfuck, to be honest with you. And I switched languages because I was like, this bitch, I can't deal with this, okay? Um, and in retrospect, I think I was much better at French because I had learned it first. Yeah. And I was at Spanish. And, I, and had I gone through like the five years of French, I probably would have retained a lot more instead of switching. I, you know, it's, I can still do the alphabet and I can do the alphabet in French, not in Spanish. And I can count faster in French than I can in Spanish. Okay. Two things I retain. It's kind of crazy. Mm. So it's estimated that about 70% of France's whiskey makers started off producing other alcohol drinks, like distilling non-whiskey spirits or brewing beer or making wine, right? Because, you know, they do all of these things in France, mm -hmm. particularly wine, because I feel like that's what's most associated. Well, cognac and wine, I feel like, are most associated with French culture. And it was surprising to me to sort of learn in this process that they like fucking love the whiskey. Yeah, I, well, there weren't a lot of whiskeys to choose from, but I was very surprised that there was even a French whiskey because I, my brain always just went to like the French and wine, to your point. Like that's kind of what I just assumed that was the big hit. That scotch didn't even enter my brain that they would be scotch drinkers. Right. And apparently they love it. Mm. So, yeah, so do I. Tewa. Uh, also spelled T-R-T-E-R-R-I-O-R, -R -R, but pronounced Tewa. And it refers to the environmental factors, that's especially soil and climate, that influence the way wine or French food tastes, right? So they're very big on sort of their climate and their soil and how it influences the taste of wine and food. So long story short, France's whiskey makers are really trying to put this philosophy to work in their fermenters, their stills and their casks and you know where they're getting their grain from and all that stuff. So they're really trying to institute that sort of philosophy that's driven their fruit-based liqueurs and their wine for centuries into whiskey. So some fun facts I would thought I would share with you all. In 1992, the European Union introduced a system of geographical indications, also known as GIs, for unique foods and beverages of its member countries. So basically, it's to offer an assurance that uh, a food or beverage was produced from a particular region of the country, right? It's like a certification essentially. Okay. So Scotch and Irish whiskeys both have European Union GIs and France applied for status for two regions of France related to whiskey production and their geographic indications. And that is the Brittany region of France and the Alsace region of France whose basically the parameters about what whiskey constitutes from those two regions was formalized through stringent definitions. <clears throat> so the whiskey, I thought I would just tell you this stuff because it's fun. So the whiskey de Bretagne, which is from the Brittany region of France, must be mashed, fermented, distilled, and aged in oak for a minimum of three years in the Brittany region of France. Okay. It must be bottled at 40% ABV or greater. 
must be distilled once, twice, or continuously in a pot column or hybrid still. And it may use a variety of grade from malted barley to corn, to wheat, to rye, to spelt, to oat, to buckwheat. So they don't give a shit what's going in here as long as it's- Exactly. Okay. And caramel coloring is permitted. Ugh. Makes me crazy. All right, anyway. Now, whiskey de, uh, de Alsace from the Alsace region of France, it must be mashed, fermented, distilled, and aged in oak for a minimum of three years in Alsace, right? Bottled at 40% ABV or greater, so we're kind of, you know, the same here. But this whiskey must be double distilled in a pot still. Now, they mm. do permit hybrid pot columns with no more than three plates allowed. So it's like a weird, like very specific. Yeah, They're specific in terms of that. It must be made from 100% barley, so they're malted barley, so they're not about all the grains up in all sauce. Uh, and it may be moved to a non-oak cask after three years of maturation. Okay. And age statements are permitted for whiskey six years of age or more, and no coloring is permitted in that uh, whiskey. This is really interesting that they have totally different standards based off region. Mm -hmm. that's, Isn't that fascinating? That's so yeah, it's not like a countrywide thing. It's based off of that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I thought I'd just end with some key facts and figures from the Fédération du Whisky de France. Uh, the Fédération was established. Oh, the Fédération was established, wow. uh, I think around what our books say, like 2006. I can't remember. I'm probably fucking it up. Um, my bad. But anyway. Basically what they said is the most recent numbers, right? There's 95 whiskey distilleries operating in France. Who the fuck would have known that? 95, holy shit. Yes. And I couldn't even get, I barely got one. Yeah, that, that goes to the point I started with at the beginning of this segment, which was that the vast majority of whiskey produced in France is consumed in France. Yeah, okay. They're yep. not like they haven't they haven't reached that like large export market like Ireland and Scotland and other places have. They have about twenty eight thousand currently about twenty eight thousand aging barrels of whiskey in the country. Okay. One point one million bottles of French whiskey was sold in twenty twenty. Wow. Yeah. And most and of that's in the country. And most of it is in France. Wow. Okay. And they have about one hundred and fifteen brands on the market and you would not know this being an american whiskey drinker no interesting yeah so like i said earlier i'm drinking bastille and this bottle was like incredibly hard to find so we have access to like the new hampshire state liquor store because of where we are in the state i can easily get there but we also have bow street liquors up in portland which has been my go-to because they've been pretty good about having kind of harder to get stuff, whether it's like wine or liquor. So we headed up there this weekend to get this bottle. So I was on the hunt for the Bastille blend because the other one is like a 90, 80 or $90 bottle. And that was not in my price point this week. So I went hunting for the 1789, which is what I'm drinking, which I did acquire. But when we got there, there was zero French whiskey on the shelf. Mm. So most of the ones, if you look for like French whiskeys, you must try. There's two that consistently come up. It's the Bastille and it is the Bren. The Bren? Sure. I don't think it's Brene. I think it's Bren. B-R-E-N-N-E. -N -N -E. And those are typically the two that you'll see 
that like are slightly easier to get your hands on. The Bren has, um, it's a clear bottle, but it has a kind of like a turquoise, wow, turquoise <laughs> label on the front. Whereas the Bastille is just a clear bottle with white writing kind of scribed on the front of the bottle. So also, I'm glad that I'm not the only mess on this podcast. No, no, you're good. It's been a long day and I've been drinking for a little while. Um, so went in, they had it listed on the website. They had it nowhere in the store. Like me and my husband are like scouring all the aisles looking and they have everything but. So we almost pivoted. I was about to text you and be like, we're doing Indian whiskey. Buckle up. We're changing course. We would not have done Indian whiskey. Well, unless you could find Indian whiskey. I had a bottle um, of Indian whiskey in my hand, so I could have done it if we needed to. But Brendan, the extrovert, encouraged me, the introvert, to go talk to a human. And for once it worked out, I talked to a very lovely human who was like, we used to carry the Bastille. Let me back up. I asked him if he had the Bastille in stock. I saw it on the website. And he goes, did you check our website or did you check the blah, blah, blah website? I'm like, well, I didn't check the blah, blah, blah website because that's not your website. I checked your website. To which she says, yeah, our website's not really up to date. And you're like, well, then what's the point? Okie dokie. I said, so I was looking for the Bastille. If you do not have the Bastille, do you have any French whiskeys in stock whatsoever? I don't care about price point. I don't like, I just tell me at this point, like if you have one in stock. So the Bastille was delisted by the state of Maine and we're <gasps> a controlled state. So we only get in whiskeys or we only get in beverages in general, any liquors and wines that are approved by the state of Maine. And usually it's a money game. Like if they think they can make money off of the sale and that they will do enough volume, they'll approve the whiskey or the liquor. If they don't, or if they haven't been, they will delist it or not approve it for sale in the state. Like I can bring it across state lines, but I can't buy it here. So he's like, we, they delisted it a while ago. I do not know if we have any in stock. Let me check the back. So he went out back, disappeared for a while. I was about to be like, all right, Indian whiskey it is. He comes back out with a single bottle and goes, this is the last one we have. We don't have any at any other locations. And because it's delisted, I can give it to you for 40% off. Shut the fuck up. Yep. So I have the last bottle in the state of Maine that was for sale that I got for $20. It normally retails between 35 and 40. Yep. Um, do not drink all that before my ass arrives there in two weeks. Which is going to be difficult because this is fucking delicious. So well, fucking resist. I will, I will you try and resist. Drink one of the other 42 bottles you have on your you, bar. You need to be glad because we had friends in town this weekend and one of them is a whiskey drinker and he was like running through my bar while he was here helping kind of knock down the stock. Well, um, yeah, he was, he was being helpful. So it is the blended one. So it is the less expensive of the two. The other is a single malt. It usually retails for about 80 bucks. And by the end of this adventure, I was ready just to say, screw it. If that's all they have, we'll, we'll do the $80 bottle. But we went and got ahead and got the, uh, the $20 bottle that usually is around $35 a bottle. So definitely a reasonable price point. That's fantastic. I, I'm just looking up in uh, the distiller. Is it the distiller app? If I can, or Drizzly, my bad. Drizzly, if I can get me some French whiskey up in this bitch in DC. If you can so. get Bren, I want to know all about it because I love Ooh. the bottle. Let me see. But the best one I might have to go to New Hampshire for because it's good. I would buy this again in a heartbeat. And I did get some Googling earlier. If we go way back to when you were talking about the Irish monks, they learned distilling from their time spent in the Middle East. Oh, that's, and I can't nice. get a country, but that's the, the Googling I did while you were talking alludes to the fact that it's primarily the Middle East where they learned the distilling. So the, the, the Bren French single malt whiskey 10 year, yes. I, can, I can potentially 
procure. Maybe I'll bring that to Maine with me. What's the price point on that? Do you have it in front of you? Oh, oh, one of those. All right. So uh, I'm- No, I mean, the price point, at least from the liquor stores available here in DC is about, it's a hundred bucks. Okay. Um, I'm kind of glad I didn't find that bottle. Oof. Which I'm happy to bring with me because I'm staying at your fucking house for a month. So you can crack it the minute you break the threshold of the door. Um, so it is good though. I will say for something that retails for 35 or maybe 40 bucks, depending on what they're charging, this is a really tasty bottle of whiskey. So their tasting notes, and they are excessive, but they are accurate. That is how I'm going to preface this. So they say the color is a bright orange, almost amber in color. I think it's kind of hard for you to see because I, it actually looks darker than it is because of the lighting in the house. Alexa, turn on the office light. I it just snorted, that's tragic. Like it's definitely lighter. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, so it's, it's almost like a, like a golden kind of hay color. It's very translucent. So, but that does not mean it doesn't have flavor. So for the nose, they say orange marmalade, dried apricot, spice cake, pineapple blossom. I don't understand what that actually means. And suede. Everything except the pineapple blossom makes sense when I smell this. The palette, vibrant, dry yet fruity, medium to full body, long, orange bread crust. That is that. Orange bread crust is the most accurate way you could describe this whiskey. It actually makes sense when you drink it. Like if you've ever had like orange quick bread, like a sweet, dense, like kind of like cakey bread, that's what it tastes like. It tastes like the crust kind of has like a burnt, not a burnt, but like a crusty taste to it. Um, and then they go on to say like peach cobbler, peppery spice, limestone accent, blah, blah, blah. Um, they mentioned the limestone accent because they have this huge hard on over the fact that their water is limestone filtered. So of course they have to mention that. It's really, really good though. Um, they go on to say, quote, a remarkable, fruity, exotic, and enigmatic whiskey that will make unique cocktails. Usually when they say that, it usually means it's meant to be used to blend into a cocktail and not be kind of drank on its own. I think you can drink this on its own because it is damn tasty. It does have a really long finish. It's sweet and kind of has a caramely orange taste to it. It's very, very good for the price point. Um, and they also do go on to list a couple of different recipes. One is a very boring Manhattan. One is kind of a generic old fashioned, which we all know how we feel about the old fashions. One is the Bastille Sour. And the Bastille Sour is two ounces of the Bastille whiskey, uh, three quarter ounce elderflower liqueur, which I Ooh. love. I love elderflower liqueur. A little Saint Germain. Exactly. Uh, three quarter ounce fresh lemon juice, which I think would cut the St. Germain really well. Mm. And then they say one egg white. I don't got time for that. I haven't tried that, but I'm intrigued. Serve in a rocks glass. So that's, that's your cocktail corner. Do you know how to make an egg white for a cocktail? I've never done it. I, be- I would have to look it up, honestly. I've never used egg I white. I presume you just whisk it, right? I, I believe in most cases you are whisking the egg white into the cocktail. Um, but I've never, I've never done it before, especially with a sour. There's a lot of mixing involved with a sour. So I think it would be kind of like whipping it into the cocktail a little bit, um, mm. but we'll have to do some further Googling because they don't actually give you directions. They just give you the ingredients. Yeah. Um, but then onto my very, my very short history with Bastille. So the distillery is owned by the Decourt family, which I'm sure has a much fancier pronunciation than I'm, I'm going sure. to give them. I'm not even going to try. So let's just, it is what it is. The decor moving forward. 
um, D-A-U-C-O-U-R-T. So from what I can discern from their limited information on the website, they own and run the Bastille Whiskey Distillery. Um, from what I've been able to read, like I said, it's mostly managed by them, the master distiller being Mason de Court. Um, they have both Irish and French heritage, which ties directly into what you were saying earlier, uh, which makes for a really interesting whiskey. So the family also owns vineyards and distilleries in the Cognac region of France. Uh, Jean-Marc de Court went to work at a Scottish distillery. I cannot find out which one. Mm. I've read through the website. I've read through a couple of articles on the family. I cannot determine what Scottish distillery he went to work at, but this whiskey has Scottish influences in how it's produced, um, which again ties into the French and their love of Scotch and kind of the Brittany influences on some things. Um, Bastille 1789 has, from their point of view, been years in development. Um, it's referred to in French as savoir faire or the perfect balance. Again, I'm sure I'm butchering this because I did not take French. Uh, the distiller, Mason de Court, selects what they say is the highest quality malted barley and wheat that's grown in the Northeast region of France, um, which is where some of the world's finest Scotch producers source their malt. So again, tying back to what you were saying earlier, I love that our notes overlap. Uh, the water used in the distillation process for Bastille is filtered through limestone, which they credit with the balanced flavor profile of the whiskey. Um, and then uh, Bastille is distilled using the family's uh, traditional emblic cognac pot still from wheat and malted barley. And they take a lot of cues from scotch. The spirits then aged in a variety of wood casks, including French limousine oak casks. I'm again, sure I'm butchering the hell out of all this shit. Um, all of which have been used in other wines or spirits prior to distilling and maturing the whiskey in it. And that's about all they say about this. Like the website doesn't have a lot of information. They don't share a lot of the secret behind it, but it's a really good whiskey for $35 for the rest of y'all. Hopefully it's not delisted in your state. Yeah, let's, let's hope. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to trying it. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will procure something delicious and bring it, delicious, and bring it with, and bring it with me. Yeah, I also, I'm, I'm, oh God, I'm so embarrassed to even admit this. I don't know much about Bastille Day, so I did have to Google it. We, we, uh, almost a month ago now, we're a month late in saying happy Bastille Day. It was July 14th. So for any of those of you who sell best, uh, celebrate Bastille Day, we're a month late in saying happy Bastille Day. Were you going to tell us about that? Uh, from what I can discern, it's not what we think it is. That's what every article I've come across is like. It's not really what the English-speaking world thinks it is. Everyone thinks it's really about the storming of Bastille, which it's kind of about, but kind of not. And then they go off on this diatribe about how it's about so much more than that, about the national French identity and the politics of the time and the storming of the political prison that was Bastille. And it's about many things, not just the storming of the political prison. All right. Yeah. But yeah, happy belated Bastille Day to everyone. Happy belated Bastille Day to you. You as well. Oh, and guess what? What? We're going to be here in a week doing this again. And until then, it's been good. You know what? What? It's been great. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.